Hi, this is Mike Novak at Cohen Heckman um, here with another FIFRA 3030. And so uh, this month we wanted to um, talk about pesticide advertising. And this is a complicated uh, area of the law. And for that reason, I thought it would be best to divide it into two different sessions. So um, the first part we'll talk about the pesticide label and labeling under FIFRA and what kind of claims you can make on the label of the product and on labeling. Um, and then part two, we'll get into what we call, what is called other advertising. So media other than the label or labeling. So TV, radio, website, um, et cetera. And the reason this area is, um, I think it's best to take it in steps is uh, there is overlapping jurisdiction. So today we will talk about, um, if you go to the next slide, the, um, the topics for today. Yeah, next one. Um, the, the two different agencies that are involved in the role of regulating pesticide um, advertising. So we've got the EPA, which we're familiar with, that approves products, uh, registers products, and we've got the FTC that regulates all advertising, including uh, pesticide uh, products. So um, what I'd like to do is just uh, set the table um, and explain how those two agencies regulate pesticide products and you know, for the next session, we'll get into more of uh, what we consider to be traditional advertising, so radio, television, newspapers, and specifically, you know, what you can say as a pesticide registrant um, in that advertising. And so we've got two different agencies, EPA and the FTC, and we've also got um, rules on the EPA side of things that are um, the statute and rules that are articulated in the form of prohibition. So that's why it's complicated, this area of the law. So we don't have specific, here's what you can do. We have, you cannot, for example, make false or misleading claims. And so the question is, well, what is a false or misleading claim? Um, so are we good with, uh, okay, we're good with the sound. Um, so the uh, the the focus then at the EPA is on prohibitions as opposed to articulating clear a clear understanding as to what you can say. I mean, the other reason this is complicated is that um, go back if you go back um, is that uh, so it's complicated because. Um, you know, we don't have clear definitions of what is uh, acceptable to say, and it's, you know, basically prohibitions from EPA. Um, so uh, what we do know, though, however, is, and that's on the advertising side of things, what we can say on the pesticide label um, and in uh, labeling, and so that's what I want to focus on today. Um, the label and labeling. So if we go to the next slide. Um, so two agencies, EPA and the FTC. Let's start with EPA. Um, if you're a pesticide registrant, you know that the EPA approves claims on the label. Um, 
and they do it through registration. Of course, you can amend your label. Um, and uh, this is done through Section 3, and, you know, the regs are at 40 CFR, Part 156, talk about uh, what's required on the label. So some information is required. Um, uh, other information can be in the form of marketing claims, and we get those approved on the actual label that's stuck to the container. Uh, so EPA also regulates, in addition to approving your label, they regulate advertising under FIFRA, but they do not, and again, this gets to where it's, well, this is uh, a little complicated. They don't define what advertising is in the FIFRA statute. So um, they only mention it once in the unlawful acts area, and it's with respect to restricted-use pesticides. So they say you can't advertise a restricted-use pesticide unless you explain that the product is, in fact, a restricted-use pesticide. Well, that doesn't apply to most of your products, so there's no definition in FIFRA. We've got a regulation that we'll talk about in Part 2 um, next month, but it's in the form of prohibition, so unlawful acts. So Section 12 says uh, it's a laundry list of unlawful acts, and it says it's unlawful to sell or distribute a misbranded pesticide or to sell or distribute a pesticide with claims that substantially differ essentially from your registration statement. So uh, FIFRA is set up in the form of um, here's what you can't do as opposed to here's what you can do. And there isn't, as we'll get into, there isn't really good guidance on what exactly advertising is. Um, or what exactly you can say and cannot say in advertising. Uh, but we, we will try in this session to explain that and to, um, uh, to simplify it so that you can understand specifically, here's what you could say on the label, here's what you can say in labeling, and then uh, for the next session, here's what you can say essentially on non-labeling, what we would consider other media. So let's go to the next slide. Um, so that's the EPA. So EPA approves your claims as part of registration, and, uh, you know, they can enforce against you if you have a misbranded product or you make a claim that substantially differs. So the FTC also regulates pesticide products, but they regulate all products, and they have a, a statute, the FTC Act, Section 5, which says when you advertise, you can't um, – make any, you know, you can't have deceptive advertising, so no false or misleading claims. And uh, in order to support your claims, you need to substantiate them with competent, reliable evidence. And so the FTC has enforced against pesticide companies for um, false or misleading claims in advertising. Um, so there's dual jurisdiction. And so EPA, both EPA and the FTC can regulate advertising. You know, advertising, um, to step back, you know, at 30,000 feet is, includes claims in any medium. So, um, it's the traditional advertising, websites, television, radio, but it also includes pesticides uh, the, the label and labeling, which, you know, I'll get to the specific definition, you know, label is what, in general, you attach to the product, and the labeling is what accompanies the product or is referred to in materials with the product. 
but label and labeling are, you know, the domain of EPA, as we know. Uh, they still fall within the definition of advertising for the FTC. So the FTC technically can regulate it. Now, they do not. Um, there's case law that uh, essentially says there's a rebuttable presumption that the FTC will consider your claims on your label, you know, if they're approved by EPA, to be substantiated. So um, they're going to look to EPA as the expert agency that regulates the actual label and labeling. Um, so it it is um, FTC that focuses on the non-label and labeling, which um, we'll get to. So next slide, please. All right, so that's the division of authority um, between EPA and the FTC. You know, they both have jurisdiction over advertising. EPA focuses on the label and labeling. And um, so the purpose of today's talk is to um, determine, well, what exactly can we say as pesticide registrants? You know, one of the purposes is, um, uh, you know, how can we talk about our product? You know, you're, Mike, you're saying there's some complicated rules here. Uh, what exactly can we say on the label, and what exactly can we say in labeling, and what can we say in advertising? So if we start with, let's start with the label and labeling, and we'll kind of define what those terms are and explain what you can say and not say. And then, you know, as I mentioned, next session uh, we'll talk more about non-labeling advertising. So... With respect to the label, so we know that EPA um, approves claims on the pesticide label. Um, so an applicant registrant or an applicant will file uh, claims, you know, a statement with EPA as part of their application or perhaps it's to register or to amend the product. And EPA will approve, when we talk about the label, uh, it's important to distinguish between the master label and the final printed label. So EPA will approve a legal document called the master label that includes all of the required statements to go on what is referred to in the regulations as the final printed label, but what uh, registrants will call the commercial label, essentially the artwork that's on the actual product in the field. So the master label is this Word document that uh, you can find on NPIRS, you know, on EPA's PPLS uh, website, and it includes all of the required statements that have to go on the label, you know, any of your approved uses, but also your claims, so your marketing claims. And EPA, as part of the application, will review and approve marketing claims and determine whether or not for example, they might be false or misleading, which we'll get to. Now, so those mass, that master label provides the text that needs to be placed onto your commercial label. And the regulations that we mentioned, Part 156, so they dictate the text size and the placement um, for the FPL, this final printed label, and the registrant, uh, based on the regulations and the EPA label review manual, you've got some wiggle room with artwork and colors and fonts. 
Um, there's some guidance on that. Uh, now, EPA does not review the FPL. They review and approve the master label. They send it to you. It's the registrant's obligation to put together the FPL, and you, by under the regs, have to file an FPL with EPA before you actually sell and distribute the product, but they don't otherwise review the FPL. So that's the registrant's obligation. And in the past, EPA, you know, if you look at the master labels, they used to be approved with comments that's since changed under PREA. So we have a, either a two- or four-week period where you work out um, the final label. Uh, so there should may, – maybe on – old labels on NPIRS, you'll see some comments to make changes uh, on the master label, but we don't have that anymore for the new labels. So we've got the master label, which tells us what text to use, and we take that text and we put it onto a final printed label, make that commercial label, and that's what um, we put on the product. So why can't we just say anything um, you know, the question is, do we have to use the exact text from the master label? Why can't we just put whatever additional texts or marketing claims we're interested in, maybe claims that weren't part of the application? So if you go to the next slide, um, so the label, as I mentioned, is what you securely, the regs will define it as what's securely attached to the container, and that's really a reference to the commercial label. And the label's got to be attached at a registered facility. You know, it is what is stuck to the container. So if you go to the next slide, the reason that we can't um, put, put whatever marketing claim we want on the label, the commercial label, so your FPL, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the master label, is that EPA has a misbranding provision that says it's unlawful to sell or distribute a product that is misbranded. And what is misbranded? So 12A1E tells us about mis the misbranding uh, standard or it being unlawful. 2Q1A is a laundry list of ways that a product can be misbranded. So I've included some of them up here, um, and they're pretty standard fare. So if your label, this is your commercial label out in the field, if it doesn't bear your registration number, it doesn't have your directions for use or warning or caution statement, then the product can be construed as misbranded. Um, in addition, if it doesn't have any word, statement, or information required by EPA, um, it's not prominently placed on the label, the product can be construed as misbranded. So notice that um, there isn't a provision that says if the product FPL is not identical and does not mirror the master label, the product is misbranded. That's not what it says. So um, we'll talk about um, ways that the commercial label can deviate from the master label, uh, but you need to understand the misbranding provision first. And the, the reason, um, you know, when we first started this conversation, um, I mentioned this is complicated. And uh, it's complicated because we've got a prohibition. Instead of having clear rules as to what exactly we can say, we simply have this, well, 
you can't sell your product with a commercial label on it that's misbranded. Well, what does misbranded mean? Well, we know it means you can't have, you have to have the required text, but what about all of our marketing claims? So we submitted a bunch of marketing claims. We got them approved on the master label. Um, do we have to, does the text have to be essentially verbatim? So if you go to the next slide, um, yeah, that's the fundamental question, the first question for this talk. You know, what can we say on the label? So we've defined FPL and master label. So, uh, the conventional wisdom, you know, conventional thought is that the FPL must include text that's verbatim from the master label. And, um, you know, certainly that standard, if you follow it, is compliant with FIFRA, you know, assuming there's no mistakes on your master label. Um, but it does depend on the content as to whether or not you can deviate from your master label. So to the extent that you have required text like precautionary statements, no, you can't deviate. But there are areas such as use sites where you can revise and include just certain phrases or certain use sites. Uh, but if we get to, you know, the marketing claims, so, you know, can we paraphrase or revise? I would say the, the uh, conventional wisdom ideal situation is no, but with rare exception. And so, um, one of the, you know, the prime question is, well, can we do that with respect to our marketing claims? Let's say we've gotten 10 marketing claims approved. I mean, what the, um, what is required in order to avoid a misleading statement is EPA will say you gotta have the marketing claim, um, verbatim. Unless you meet, um, one of these couple exceptions. So one is if you have brackets around the, the marketing material that's been approved on, or the marketing claim that's been approved on the master label. So for example, if your statement says cleans and disinfects hard surfaces, uh, you could just put disinfects hard surfaces. Now, the, the question is if you didn't have brackets, if you have a you know, a 20-word claim, marketing claim that's been approved on your master label, can you paraphrase that, revise it, and put that on your your commercial label? Um, and the answer is, well, you know, if you look at that um, misbranding statement, um, it refers to uh, primarily, you know, having uh, required statements. Nowhere does it mention that, yeah, you couldn't revise a claim, but as we'll get to, it also includes a statement that you can't have false or misleading um, phrases on your label. So that's where, well, what is the definition of false or misleading? Um, it's not clear. So the ideal here is you stick to, you know, the verbatim claim unless you have brackets. You know, you can put on your master label um, you know, variables such as capitalizing letters or bold or italics, and that uh, those are for optional use unless uh, required under 40 CFR. So EPA will allow you to put that on your master label. Um, 
but otherwise, you know, brackets are the way to go to, you know, have a paraphrase. There's also um, PR Notice 9810, which is being updated, which um, allows for non-notification. So, and let's get back to just kind of the center of the discussion. So we're talking about um, if we have a master label, we got a bunch of marketing claims on it. Do we have to put them verbatim on the commercial label? And, um, well, the standard is we don't want to misbrand our product. You know, so we look at the misbranding statements. It says, you know, you have to include required text, but it also says you can't have false or misleading statements um, on the label itself. And so that's where, you know, EPA maybe hasn't defined that, and so we have to be very careful. And so if you have text that's verbatim, you know you're going to meet that standard. Um, if you wanted to include additional text, you might submit an amendment or additional claims to add them or a notification, uh, which you could do under PR Notice 9810. But 9810 also includes a list of claims or text that can be included on your final printed label that are not required on the master label. So that's what a non-notification is. It's, you, don't, you can add it to your label without notifying EPA of the change. Now, these are very minor changes like type, typos, printing errors, you know, net content changes, non-FIFRA revisions like uh, lot or batch codes. Um, so there's not a lot you can work with there. Non-pesticidal characteristics, you know, pricing, where the product is made, um, statements from other agencies. Now, the risk, so what that, what uh, the takeaway message here is that technically you can, so the ideal is our text is verbatim from the master, but Technically, if you want to push the boundaries, there are some deviations um, you can make. You could add text under a non-notification, if it meets this non-notification standard. Um, you might, you can definitely use brackets, which is approved on the master. And you might be able to add statements, since the misbranding definition says um, that it's misbranding if you don't have a required statement on your label. Now, I would advise that from a, um, a proactive standpoint because there's real risk that EPA would consider that nonetheless to be misbranding. They might consider it to be misleading, you know, if it was um, in the proximity or area of required tax or somehow misled the user with respect to other claims. but. The bottom line is there is it's, the standard is not actually verbatim. Now, one of the reasons that um, it can be difficult in this area is that the state will review the FPLs. So your final printed label, if you do have a deviation from the master label, the states review not master label, well, they'll take a look at the master and they'll review your commercial label and that's what they will register. And so they will, uh, the states will take a very strong look to see if there's any deviation and if they're, if it's not verbatim, they may come back and say, you know, you need to, um, 
yeah, we're not going to register until this this is changed. So um, I would say the conventional wisdom and in, in the practice is that the FPL has got to be verbatim to the master label. If you're in an enforcement position, you know, keep in mind PR knows 9810, and if you're in an enforcement position, you can argue if you have additional text that the product is not misbranded. So that's the label with respect to um, – so we know that we can make claims. You know, if we back up, uh, we're talking about what claims can we make on the label labeling and in other advertising. Well, on the label, we know we can make marketing claims that have been approved by EPA. So to the extent that um, we want to make those claims in any advertising, we just or make a claim in you know non-label or non-labeling, we just get that ma- that claim approved on the master label by EPA. Now the so. That would be the ideal situation. Everything gets approved by EPA. There's some problems with that, and there's reasons why um, that's not done. And one is that there is some tension at EPA with respect to approving giant labels, you know, 30, 40, 50-page labels with every marketing claim that the registrant would want to make. Because they don't want, and this was referred to in a, Federal Register notice on third-party cause marketing, but there's some tension between the um, need for the label to relay safety information to protect the user and your marketing interests. So, um, and in this Federal Register notice, you know, the issue was whether the Red Cross or whether a registrant could include a reference to uh, the Red Cross. And uh, EPA ultimately abandoned this uh, third-party cause marketing um, uh, policy. But in that, they mentioned, you know, we have some reservations with putting lots of marketing claims on product labels, you know, because we want the user to see the safety information. Um, You know, the... The the other factor is that the product managers, their positions will change on whether a claim can be added to the label. You know, so if you put all of your claims that you want to make in advertising um, in your application to get stamped approved on your master label, uh, the PMs, even though the, some of the claims may be lawful, they some PMs may say they may have a, a restrictive view of what is permissible and what is not. Um, so, you know, the general position of, hey, let's get everything approved on the label, that makes sense in an ideal world, but it's not always practical, and it's not clear that EPA will approve all of your claims. Um, so, next slide. Um, so, that's with respect to, you know, the label. So, labeling is... Uh, so we've defined the label as the material that's it, it's stuck to the container. Labeling is a broader concept that includes the label, but also any other accompanying information with the product, um, you know, physically accompanying it, or information that's referred to on the label or in literature accompanying the product. So, you know, this would include. Retail posters, you know, anything at point of sale, 
your SDS, you know, your MSDS or SDS, the, the company's the product. So that meets the definition of labeling. Um, and, you know, anything that's uh, provided to the buyer, you know, at point of sale would be considered to accompany the product. The the other thing that could be considered, um, or the other media that could be considered um, labeling is your website, if it's referred to on the label itself. So EPA has been sending letters to registrants after registering products stating that if you have a URL on your label, that we consider the entire website to be labeling itself. So why does that matter? Well, the um, as we mentioned, if you go to the next slide, the definition, so what are we concerned about? We're concerned about we don't want to sell a misbranded products, so the, the rules are kind of stated in the negative. We can't um, violate FIFRA. Um, what is a misbranded uh, product? It is, it includes labeling that bears a statement, you know, design or graphic, which is false or misleading in any particular. So in addition to, you know, selling a product with a label that doesn't have required information, EPA could also enforce if your labeling has false or misleading you know, information. So if we go back to slide 13, um, we know that we want to avoid having labeling that's um, misbranded, that includes a false or misleading statement. And we know that labeling is, you know, it's any of your materials, cell sheets, your SDS, et cetera, that accompanies the product. So the as we go back, you know, conventional wisdom is, hey, let's get all of it approved by EPA, and then we know that it's it's lawful, you know, that it's not false or misleading. Well, so can you submit, does EPA require that you submit all of your labeling to it for approval? Well, the EPA label review manual says it is required, but this is an overly broad guidance statement. Um, in practice, you're not required to submit labeling to EPA unless there's a reference on your label. So if your label says, see uh, directions for use, you know, on additional materials, then those additional materials, EPA will want to stamp approve that as part of your master label. And, you know, that would be considered labeling that they would want to see and approve. But otherwise, your labeling is not, uh, you know, if you try to submit your SDS to a product manager, they're going to send it back. They're not going to want to review it. And um, so, uh, you know, 30,000 feet, let's go back to what our concern is here. So we, we want to know what we can put on, what kind of marketing claim we can put on the label where we get it approved. Well, now what, what kind of marketing claims can we put in labeling, you know, the posters and sell sheets that accompany the product? Well, if EPA can't approve, won't approve them, then um, we need to make certain that um, the text in there is, you know, not false or misleading, that the product is not misbranded if you go to slide 15. And, um, so EPA doesn't necessarily approve every statement in your labeling. Um, 
you know, they don't want to review it. They're not going to approve it. Um, so the legal standard, and we'll talk about, you know, there's also another bar um, that I mentioned earlier on. You can't make claims that substantially differ. Um, so that's an additional enforcement power that EPA has. But for labeling, the primary concern and for purposes of this talk is, you know, the false, a, a false or misleading statement. So we know we can't make those. But what exactly is false or misleading? What's a false or misleading uh, statement? You know, if we are making claims that are approved on the label, you know, um, they shouldn't be false or misleading. Now, you do have to have data to substantiate. This is kind of a side uh, point. Data to substantiate all of the claims that are approved on your label by EPA. So we see this often with Me Too registrants. You know, they'll see a claim on another registrant's label, and they'll add it to their label, and EPA will approve it. Well, that does not mean that technically EPA could enforce against you for a false or misleading statement if you didn't have data to support that claim, even though EPA has approved the claim. So, you know, you, and the FTC could as well. We mentioned that, you know, FTC requires substantiation. So you have to have substantiation for your claims. Now, you can substantiate in different ways, um, but uh, you have to show that you know, the the, the um, statement is not false or misleading. So you, you would need that for your label and for labeling, but labeling, the, the claims are not going to be approved by EPA. If we stick to claims that they've approved on the label, sure, we're going to be good. But the question is, can we go farther than that? Can we paraphrase claims that have been approved on our label but aren't exact? You know, I was saying before that the label, the the commercial label should essentially be verbatim in your claim to the master label with those very few exceptions, and then there's risk if you're not careful. With labeling, you can paraphrase and be, um, you know, and, and include statements that are not verbatim as long as they're not false or misleading. Well, what is false or misleading? That's the fundamental question because um, that's our risk here. So if we go to the next slide, um, there is EPA provides some examples in the regulations uh, and in the label review manual of uh, now this is not the universe, but of uh, clear cut. Here's what we uh, these are areas that we consider to be false or misleading. So. If you're going to refer to the composition of the product in a false way or a misleading way, to the efficacy of the product, you know, to other pesticides, um, any statement that implies agency endorsement. So if I say my product is EPA approved, you know, approved by the government, um, you know, it was designed um, for use by the government. Uh, EPA may, may say, you know, that implies that we've endorsed it instead of just registering it. And uh, so that's a misleading statement. And then any, there's a blanket prohibition on, as we know, unless, as many of you know, unless you have a minimum risk product, there's a blanket prohibition on safety claims. So we just can't go there. 
Um, now, technically, if you can get it stamped approved on your master label, you know, there's there you could use it on your label if it's, um, you know, there's maybe a little risk there, but um, if you have data to support it and EPA has approved it, I think you got a strong argument. Uh, but there is a regulation that says safety claims are um, on their face false or misleading. So those those are examples of claims that we when we paraphrase in labeling, we should not be going there. You know, it, um, so the, if you go to the next slide, the other area where EPA explained, well, these are some claims uh, that we don't approve or think are false or misleading is uh, the EPA label review manual at Chapter 12. There's a laundry list of claims. Now, I think, you know, some of those positions are debatable in um, the label review manual. Um, they may be overstating things. But the problem is, uh, unless you get it stamped approved on your label, if you, you're taking the position it's a lawful paraphrase, there, there may be some risk. So if we go to the next slide, though, the, um, the bottom line for labeling, so this is your SDS, this is your anything that accompanies the product but is not stamped approved, um, and it, you know, is not the label itself stuck to the product, um, that those materials uh, you can use paraphrases of approved marketing claims as long as the paraphrase is not false or misleading, you know, or otherwise unlawful. And I say that because there is this substantially different prong, which we're going to talk about on the next session. But um, so what if what are examples of lawful paraphrases? What do, Mike, what do you mean by that? So to the extent that and one strategy you can take is you get these base anchor claims approved on your master label by EPA. So EPA says, you know, the term works fast is acceptable. Um, once you have that anchor claim or, or maybe cleans and disinfects in your kitchen, you know, on hard surfaces in your kitchen, once you have that anchor claim, uh, when you advertise in labeling, uh, you can make a lawful paraphrase of that anchor claim as long as it's not misleading. So if we go back to that works, you know, there are some areas that are a little dangerous. So efficacy would be one. You know, it's, it's, um, it's easy to uh, or it's hard to gauge exactly whether EPA would think something is misleading. So perhaps I should start with just a use pattern. So an anchor claim would be cleans and disinfects hard surfaces in your kitchen, you know, and assuming we don't have food contact issues on your label, you could take that anchor claim that's approved on your label and paraphrase it in labeling and say, you know, cleans and disinfects your kitchen counters or your floors, you know, these are areas that are within, that's essentially a paraphrase of uh, the kitchen reference. And uh, as long as you don't, again, have the food contact, non-food contact prohibition on the label, that would be a lawful paraphrase. You wouldn't have to get it approved on uh, your label, so you could make that claim in labeling. Uh, what I was going to mention is the works fast. So, 
you know, the question is, if you have something like works fast, could you say, you know, quick to kill in your um, labeling if you got the claim works fast? And so the whole question is, is that misleading? And, um, you know, again, going back to the top of, of this uh, webinar, that's where it's a little bit difficult because, um, you know, technically, you should lawfully be able to make a paraphrase, and if you think it's a lawful paraphrase that's not false or misleading, then um, the product, your product wouldn't be misbranded, you know, if you made that statement in labeling. You know, the problem is, well, how do we know what's misleading? Is it, is works fast different than quick to kill? Um, you know, it sounds pretty similar. But uh, would EPA enforcement think differently? Um, so the, um, you know, the, the uh, way to address it is we go to the EPA regulation that lists examples, and then we go to the um, label review manual, Chapter 12, see if they've called it out. Um, you know, and the safest way to approach it is to get that paraphrase approved on your label. But as I mentioned before, you know, we got PMs. There's a reluctance to uh, – you can't get all of your advertising approved on the label. There's some friction at EPA as to whether they really want to approve everything. And so one strategy is to get um, anchor claims for you know, your base messages and then make just minor paraphrases, you know, that deviate in your labeling. And you can make this in non-labeling as well. You know, we'll talk about that on the next session. But uh, that would be one strategy. Um, so verbatim on the label, you know, from your master to your FPL with just some minor deviations, non-notifications, and uh, for labeling, you can be you can have paraphrasing as long as it's not false or misleading or otherwise unlawful. So we went a little bit over, um, but I think this topic uh, deserves the time. Um, let's see if we have have any uh, questions. Uh, you do have the ability to submit questions on the um, on the website. Um, so we have a question about establishment numbers, and you know the establishment number has to be um, on the um, on the product itself. You know, it should be on the package label. It doesn't actually have to be on the master label. Um, you know, some PMs want it there, but it, it's not required since you can make your product at any registered establishment, you know, as long as they have authority to make it. Um, so let's look at the next question. So GHS, there's uh, a question about uh, the SDS and uh, the label. And so, you know, the, the um, you know, one of the takeaway messages here is that the SDS is labeling. It accompanies the uh, the product. And um, so the text on the labeling has, can't be false or misleading. It essentially has to be consistent, can't contradict. It can't, it's got to be a lawful paraphrase. 
But we know that GHS has been implemented by OSHA and not by EPA. And so there's a PR notice that addresses to the extent that you have a contradiction, a statement, a warning statement on your label that differs from the SDS, and that's got to be called out in a section in the SDS. Um, you know, that's essentially the way that EPA wants uh, that to work. So do we need to get the GHS label and the SDS content approved by EPA in the master label process also? Well, so you can um, you can get your um, uh, you can get GHS, you can update your master label to include the GHS warning statements. EPA will allow you to do that voluntarily, but otherwise Part 156 applies to the to, uh, you know, your precautionary statements, and you don't have to have GHS-compliant text on the label. Now, you do have to have it on your SDS. And as I mentioned, though, that the SDS does not, so you could get it approved by your PM, um, but they have the discretion not to review it. Um, you know, and in my experience, they don't want to see you know, if you have a reference on the label to other labeling that includes core um, pieces of the label, like directions for use, they, they want to stamp approve that. But otherwise, they're not going to want to look at that SDS. So you got to follow. That's why they have a PR notice. Um, uh, okay, so lawful paraphrase of master label claims allow for the FPL or just other labeling like SDS. Yeah, so that's a good question. I know I I kind of uh, uh, started this off a little slowly. So um, the um, just to back up and to explain the definition of label and labeling. So the label is what is what you affix to the product. I mean, technically it is part of labeling, but uh, so labeling includes the label and all material that accompanies the product or that is referred to essentially in labeling. So, you know, the question is, can we have a lawful paraphrase on the master label claims um, on our FPL? And the answer is, you know, because I kind of jumped around there, the ideal, the conventional wisdom is it's got to be verbatim. You know, if you, if you paraphrase, you better have a bracket that allows you to paraphrase. Um, the if you have an enforcement action where EPA is saying, oh, your product is misbranded because you included only parts of a approved marketing claim, well, they have to actually show that that the parts of the claim are false or misleading. Because if you look at the misbranding statement, it says, or the misbranding criteria under the statute, it says. Uh, your product's misbranded if you fail to include required text like directions for use, active ingredient, you know, registration number. Um, it doesn't mention well if you have an ex. So marketing claims are not required text. You, know, you put you get as many that you can get approved on the master label, and you get to select and choose the ma the marketing claim from your master label. You could use one or you could use ten if you have ten listed. Um, that's they're discretionary. They're not required on the FBL. Um, but that said, so you, what EPA doesn't want you to do if you have 10 approved marketing claims is to take one of the 10 and only take half of it 
And if the half of it is misleading and, you know, sounds more powerful um, and doesn't have a qualifier that they approved, then your product is misbranded. So my advice would be to be verbatim. You know, technically, if you're getting enforced against um, the standard does not say you need to be verbatim, but it better not be false and misleading, which is, you know, that's the rub here. We we don't have a clear definition of what is false and misleading. Okay, would shelf talkers at retail shelf be considered labeling due to the proximity of the product, even though the buyer will not be taking it home with the product? So that's a good question. I mean, the answer is yes, because if we go back to, you know, the, the definition of labeling, um, it's anything that accompanies the product. Uh, so to the extent that a shelf talker, you know, any um, point of sale material that uh, is with the product um, that could be construed as accompanying it would be considered labeling. And um, as we'll talk about on the next session, you know, EPA has stronger authority to regulate labeling as opposed to non-labeling. So a magazine or, uh, advertisement or a newspaper insert or a subway billboard, those, excuse me, those are advertisements that do not accompany the product. They're not defined as labeling. So the whole misbranding standard doesn't apply. Um, we don't have to worry about it unless there's a reference to, you know, labeling, um, unless we have labeling that refers to, sorry, that that specific advertisement. So if the label says, go see our magazine advertisement, well, then we've got labeling. But otherwise, that's non-labeling. And as we'll talk about on the next session, we just have to ensure that our claims don't substantially differ from claims approved as part of the registration. So that standard is, is um, um, on one hand, you know, all of this is a little gray because there's not a lot of regs and guidance behind it. On the other hand, it's that standard could be construed as a little, you can be a little more aggressive uh, because, you know, there's a list of substantially differs claims, but it's got to differ substantially from what's been approved on your race, as opposed to just being a little bit misleading. Um, yeah, but there we also have, as I mentioned, the FTC that gets involved in regulating. Um, and the FTC um, traditionally you know, takes, uh, you know, they have authority over television, radio, et cetera. So while they have joint jurisdiction over all of these materials, they kind of, they allow EPA to, um, as I mentioned, their, their EPA is, uh, the expert agency that approves statements on labels and labeling. So are there any other labeling requirements for shipping inert ingredients? Uh, well, inerts are, assuming they're not part of a pesticide product or not pesticides, and so they're going to be, uh, you know, you're shipping an adjuvant or, or a mixture of inerts. You're regulated under not FIFRA, but TOSCA and OSHA. So extent that's a business-to-business -business transaction, you need an OSHA label on uh, the product. You know, and you also have to register in a bunch of states. They um, consider um, 
inerts and surfactants, adjuvants as pesticides in like California, Tennessee, other states. Would advertising be able to be discussed uh, rates that are different than the approved label? All right. So can you advertise rates that are different than what's on your approved label? And so this is a great, great question. Actually, maybe is a little uh, more appropriate for the next session. But um, so the answer is technically um, – this is this is an area where you have to be very careful, um, and it depends on what kind of product you have. So there is a, um, you know, the the user has to follow the label, and we've all seen the um, uh, the admonition or cautionary provision that says you uh, it's a violation of federal law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with the label. So the user cannot use a product inconsistent with the label. So when you say, oh, can we advertise uh, for a rate that's different than what's on the approved label? Well, technically, you know, that directions, that statement at the top of the direction for use says, well, the user can't do that. He's got to follow the approved rate. Uh, except that FIFRA has an exception to that. It's, it's um, uh, FIFRA section 2 double. E for those familiar with it, and they, there's a there's a list of six uh, conditions in which EPA will consider a change um, not to be. Uh, sorry, I got to get my glasses on, but a a um, use of a product not to be considered um, inconsistent with its labeling. So if we look at FIFRA section two double E. The uh, the answer to this question is maybe, depending on 2AA. Can you advertise a rate that's different than what's approved on your label? Well, the 2AA says, you know, the first, first prong of this is we have to make sure the product can be used at a rate different than what's approved on the label. And 2AA says, well, it's not um, – to use any registered pesticide in a manner inconsistent with its labeling means to do that, except that the term shall not include applying a pesticide at any dosage, concentration, or frequency less than that specified on the labeling, unless the labeling specifically prohibits deviation from that specified dosage, concentration, or frequency. So um, it's not unlawful, actually, to use a product at a dosage lower than what's on the directions for use. You can't go above. So when you say different, well, we can't go above. We can go lower, but there's some caveats. One, um, the, the label can't prohibit deviation. And um, so that's with respect to use. And, and so the caveat is that for public health products, you know, where you have a public health use, you know, where you're protecting somebody, um, you typically can't, there's a prohibition, you know, because you got to make sure the product works, that it actually protects human health. Uh, but your question, and sorry, I know this is a long answer, but uh, is whether you can advertise at the rate different than what's approved on the label. And so we know you can use at a different rate under 2AA. We then go to what we're going to discuss uh, next time. I mentioned there's a regulation on advertising at Part 168, 
Well, it states that if you have a two double E deviation, you can advertise for those two double E deviations as long as you don't have an antimicrobial that's a public health product. Uh, there are some states who require two double E notifications. So, um, but the answer is if you have a non-public health product, you could advertise for a use rate that's lower but not higher. Um, and it looks like that's the last question. So I want to thank everybody who's um, attended today. Um, so, Aaron, we do have uh, access to this recording, right, that we will email out to everybody. And uh, we look forward to talking about part two, you know, advertising in more traditional media, you know, non-labeling, essentially, non-labels or labeling. Um, and we will uh, see you then. Thanks. Bye.